3: Thursday morning, the 2nd of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, was in Carlingford yesterday to assess for himself the extent of flood damage. The Minister committed funding similar to that available to businesses in Middleton will be made available to local businesses. Although this needs to be approved by the Cabinet today, it appears certain that local businesses will be able to claim up to €100,000 for damages, given that Simon Coveney said as much in South Korea yesterday, it does seem that when ministers do meet incorporally today, it will be to rubber stamp the scheme. Let's speak uh, to local councillor Anton Waters, Sinn Féin councillor and Laos County councillor. A very good morning to you, Anton, and thank you uh, indeed uh, for joining us. It's been a horrid week if ever. Uh, What is uh, the situation in North Laos today.
4: Morning Michael Um, yeah well I have to fully agree I think it's, everyone's just exhausted now at the minute I was talking to a couple of residents um, this morning who are just you know, they're just totally exhausted after serious efforts been made to try and prevent water going into their houses so I suppose throughout the peninsula we're glad to see that the water levels have receded um, a good bit overnight thank God we didn't get as much rain um, so it has been given a big chance and hopefully that will continue on the rest of the day but um what's unfolding now is probably the the damage that's left behind. Um, we still have a lot of people who are um stuck in their homes, be it with water or debris on the roads. So has been a lot of um excuse me, a lot of landslides as well, Michael, where um some of it has come down and blocked roads, making them unpassable and that's throughout the peninsula. So we're trying to speak to the council this morning about trying to organise now that the water has and we can get up to them to try and see if we can get these roads cleared. And um, some of them are in very very bad way. Like there's some, especially around uh, Ravensdale, Eaton Tubber area. Like the Turf Road is basically craters. Like you yeah. couldn't drive down it. I don't know how or how quick we can get this locked up because there's so many. But it's trying to prioritise them. And yeah. there's also issues with carers. Michael not being able to get in to, to treat their um, their patients like they would do a couple of times a day. And there's also issues with hospital appointments that people are having to reschedule and i know there's one particular person who has to go for um, treatment in the morning and it's trying to get the road cleared so that they can get out to it michael so that's the job of work this morning and today to try Mm. and get that done
3: absolutely yeah because some of these roads were like rivers really weren't they
4: yeah look and and Mm. that's the problem now that the water has receded you can see the full damage that has been done and as i said to you earlier that there's roads that never flooded before and now that the water's gone, like the tarmac's lifting, the water was coming up through the tarmac. Mm. Um, it's it's serious. Like I don't know how Like you'd nearly be needing to look about getting contractors, external contractors in, as well as the council team, to start dealing with these issues because it's physically not possible to deal with them all mm. ourselves, I think, if I'm honest with you, because there's so much of them and it's so widespread, like if you take from a meat the whole way around uh, even in dock where there's issues in in the rural areas of north and outside dock, there's issues there as well so mm. it's such a big area we've such a big road network Michael and that's the issue we're going to have like we're,
5: we're planning L- to
3: have Is there a template for this Anton uh, because uh, like uh, the humanitarian aid for householders that will be made uh, available that's based on experience uh, the same experience with businesses in Cork that funding is going to be made uh, available to businesses locally. Uh, what happened elsewhere or are we going to follow uh, the example of what they've done elsewhere when they've had problems like
4: this? Yeah, we have to, yeah, we have to follow suit and what's going to be done is it's, it's funding. Government have to make the funding available to us, Michael, because without it, parts of the peninsula won't operate um, there's already a lot of businesses that aren't even in the, in the villages that are still affected, can't get access in and out to our property. So that's all loss of income as well. That's all issues that are been dealt with. But uh, we, we are looking to have a special meeting ourselves, the, the Dundalk MD uh, councillors, to try and put a plan in place to try and deal with this. We have a meeting next Tuesday. But um, we need work to start before that. We need work to be starting this morning now that the water has uh, receded. So that's the plan of attack. Um, there has been so many mm. issues, Michael, and that's the problem. Like, um, we were raising issues; be it, it could be anything. the last two days, and we're sending them into the council, and they're inundated. So, like, mm. we have to learn from this experience as well that we need to come up with a better way and it's a plan uh, to talk about it on Tuesday that we have a, a kind of a crisis point out in the peninsula where we can go and, and get speak to people it's it's alright sending emails but you're following up with emails and trying to, to chase up for a constituent who can't get in and out of their house or who can't get a, a carer in to deal with an elderly relative this is how we have to deal with it I hope yeah. it doesn't happen again Michael but we have to try and plan for it a bit better okay. um, what, what,
3: what about the sewage pipes? Can people flush their toilets?
4: I was, Michael, I have two toddlers and, and they're, they're one of them is potty trained and one's not. And I was talking to a family yesterday who are in the middle of trying to potty train and their toilets won't even flush. Like, I know it's a small thing, but mm. it's not really because it's a big mm. thing for that family. And the toilets won't flush. The septic tanks are full of water. They'll all have to be emptied as well. There's a, a hygiene and there's hazards involved with that as well. One of the states I was in yesterday, there was some foul matter in the water that was travelling around. That's an issue as well. Um, People are getting colds and flus after this because they've been out wading through water, trying to unblock drains. The knock-on effect of it health-wise is going to be as big as it is financially for people. So um, that's a whole job of work. You have to have a specialist in to to clean out your septic tank properly and get your cert for it. That's another issue, how many people are going to be able to do that. Um, As I say, there's people who haven't flushed toilets in three or four days.
3: Right, uh, which is an appalling situation uh, in, in itself. Uh, but when you look at the whole situation, uh, I mean, this is not going to be rectified overnight. Uh, this is going to take days, if not weeks. Is it not?
4: Weeks. And I said to you yesterday, like we are now. The Halloween's over. Everyone's looking forward to Christmas, and the people and the residents who are affected, and the business owners. It's the busiest time of year for them, and. Um it, it's going to weeks and weeks and weeks. I, I can't, I, look, you'd love to see everybody and back in their houses for Christmas, and that should be okay, and all the businesses open. But there's an awful lot of work to be done uh, before that happens. I was in a couple of houses yesterday where you can see the damage um, of the floors. Like, water travels everywhere. They're trying to get dehumidifiers um, from local businesses where you hire them. People are very good at and um, giving them uh, you know giving loans to them and everything to help them out but it takes a long time to dry out a, um, a house and you have to do it in a certain way if you dry it out too quick you can end up doing more damage cracking walls mm-hmm. plaster mm-hmm. Um, there's a big issue there now I have to commend the community spirit I said it yesterday there was uh, lots of people all throughout the peninsula who are helping the clear roads helping to clean up there was a big gang of people out in for last night who were cleaning around the streets and done a fantastic job the same in Ravensdale, the same in Larchip the same in loads of different areas so th- this is all part of getting people back into their homes quicker Michael yeah. and, and the businesses back open and it's great to see that because and in fairness to the people in North Loud they always step up to the mark because mm. we've had so many bad things to, i think back to all the fires and everything we had and people always step up to the mark and help their neighbors and i, I take it it's a bit
3: family. like i take it it's a bit like repairing the roads though that uh, you're going to need professional workmen uh, and there's only so many uh, and they'll have to spread out which will delay work getting done in businesses and in houses uh, you could be at the top of the list but you could be at the bottom of the list uh, and if that's the case uh, you could be looking at uh, a lot more than weeks uh, to get back to normal
4: exactly and and the funding has to be there in order to get that work done as well so that's what i'm saying we need to look at every avenue we have with external contractors or whatever we need to do because there is professionals out there who are ready and willing to help and um, as you say you could be at the bottom of the list the top of the list we have to try and get it assessed first michael i know the housing team from the council were around Seth and Trinity Close yesterday to start the works there but we need that done by the operations team to assess the road network mm. in Cooley and the surrounding areas to see start prioritising one, two, three we need to do this road in Carnifor because there's so many people waiting on a carer and this is what we have to start looking at and it's a big job of work, I'm not saying this can be done easily but we have to start it this morning so I've been talking to some of the engineers this morning and in fairness to them, they are trying to, to work on it so I am looking at trying to uh, see about what the plan is now to get these roads back open, Michael. Because as I say, it's from eating or to meat, and we need to we need to start prioritising and getting uh, shovels and diggers on the ground.
3: Mm, okay, uh, is electricity uh, working for everybody?
4: Yes. Uh, yeah, as far as I'm aware, mm. everybody has their electricity okay. But the problem is on that you, some people turned off their um, at the switch, they turned off at the circuit board. Um, and whenever they're turning it back on, it's starting to trip. There's water in the system. So mm. they're having to get their electrician in to check it and do tests because the last thing you want is, you know, any damage to be caused because of that. Mm. There's also people, Michael, who haven't started their cars in a couple of days and their cars aren't starting. They're full of water. It's up mm-hmm. into the engines. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get their cars away quick enough at the time, eh, uh, so like, that's, there's so many factors to this um, that you, we won't even realise and it's only as the days are um, progressing you're realising yeah, yeah. here's another issue we never thought of, here's another issue here. Mm. Um, so it really is just um, now that the dust has settled and the water is gone it's really seeing the full scale of the full disaster that did happen here, Michael.
3: Okay, well thanks for joining us again, Anton uh, and uh, we'll be watching progress uh, and hoping for uh, some better news uh, in uh, the coming hours, days or weeks or as soon as possible in other words thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, As I say, Sinn Féin councillor Anton Waters now let's go into the town of Dundalk Green Party councillor Marianne Butler uh, joins us now, what's the situation in Dundalk? Uh,
6: the situation Better today. Um, I I went round yesterday morning, and obviously it was as bad as ever. Yesterday evening, the, you could definitely see the improvement. The, the water starting to go down, and today it is so much better. Uh, thankfully, um, I know the forecast seemed to change about three or four times yesterday evening. We were seemed to be getting a lot of rainfall overnight, and I don't think we got any rainfall overnight. And it did just give the chance for those flood waters um, to clear away and. A dry day yesterday as well. So, mm. um, yeah, there's pockets of water sitting um, at the entrance to Elm Grove, but everywhere else seems to be much improved. That that fl- um, flood that was on the, the Red Barnes Road that was lapping over the side of the pavement, it seems to have, it, it's, it's pretty much gone at this stage okay. as well. So, a very different situation.
3: Well, fantastic to hear that, and I'm sure there's a lot of relief, fingers crossed, and we're through the worst of it uh, at this stage, although there's a question of picking up the pieces now for people as well, of course.
6: Absolutely. Like, just looking at Bay State this morning, um, it definitely needs the road sweeper to go through it, but I suppose long-term, after what's happened over the last number of days, um, we need to learn from this, we need to get better at responding to it. Um, And again, like, my heart goes out to what's happening in North Loud. Um, I did manage to speak to Eamon Ryan, Minister for Transport, um, Tuesday evening, uh, and he, you know he, he did commit that you know, the first thing that needs to be done is we need to assess all the damage that was done, and there seems to be a huge amount of damage done in North Loud, Um and that, yes, his department would come through with that emergency support and funding
3: um, to put things right. Mm, That seems inevitable. It's probably going to be rubber-stamped by government today, but if Minister Ryan has said that to you, on foot of Minister McGrath saying it in Carlingford yesterday, and indeed Minister Coveney saying it in South Korea yesterday, I take it that there will be funding available for people
6: absolutely and it needs to happen and again like uh, i think there needs to be, we need to look at at how north loud in particular it, it's not it's, in, it's not my local electoral mm. area but obviously it's part of the municipal district but like how we stop that from happening because all those Pipes, drains, gullies, you know, seemed to get clogged up, silted up. You know, there was, there was boulders from streams blocking them in many cases and the water was changing course and that's what caused an awful lot of the damage. So hmm. I don't know how we engineer that so it doesn't happen again, but we, it's something that certainly needs to be looked at.
3: Uh, and what about in the town? Do you think there's questions uh, to be asked uh, about how this happened, how estates were flooded so badly uh, and what can be done to prevent it from happening again?
6: Um, Like, look, a couple of things that we're going to be looking at in, in the next 12 months, hopefully, is the local area plan for Dundalk. We're also going to be looking at the climate action plan for the county as well. And I think when we look at both of those in particular, we have to have what happened in the back of our mind. We also have to come up with better ways of... You know, if there's engineering solutions to some of these things, we need to look at that as well. But our response to these incidents needs to get better.
1: And what We about can't
6: the... have a situation that happened in the last couple of days where we ran out of those bags uh, for to, to make sandbags.
3: Mm, OK, well, that's obviously uh, to respond to a crisis. Uh, what about preventative measures? Are the flood defences sufficient?
6: Absolutely. But like I'm looking at the the focus on our flood defences in Dundalk for the most part are coastal flooding. And we didn't have that coastal flooding this time. What we had was flooding from the the sheer amount, the volumes of rainwater. So that's something I think that we we need to look at as well and Mm. and how we deal with that in the future.
3: And what about the drains and the gullies? Are are they cleaned often enough? Uh, Could it have helped if not stopped the situation?
6: I don't think it could have stopped the situation. I think because of the time of the year, I think it could have been a factor certainly in some of the cases and and especially stopping floodwaters receding. I mean, just the time of the year, some of those drains, even if they had been cleaned in September, you know, leaves would have fallen in them since. There would have been some blockage in them. Um, Probably not enough, if you know what I mean. Mm. But like I was there the other morning, I was talking to a resident in... um, uh, sorry, Oakvale. Yeah, and like she was able to tell me, you know, when the van came round, every single gully was cleaned in in that particular part of Bay Estate. You know, she even to the extent where she knocked people's doors if their car happened to be over and right. um, the 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 grill, you know, so that they could move their car to allow that particular gully to get cleaned out. So, you know. It, hand on heart she was able to say look it's not a factor here and and there was a huge amount of water the other morning in Oakvale and that's just one example if you know what I mean so but look definitely you know if we're doing it once a year should we be doing it twice a year just to be sure just to give that rain water as much chance as possible to get away Mm. Um, but look I think the sheer volumes this time it's I don't think it was the, the the deciding factor, if you know what I mean.
3: Yeah, and there's a, another separate and very serious problem uh, which I, I think will be of concern to people who have been affected uh, by these floods. Uh, they won't be able to insure their houses now.
6: Um, I, it, it is an issue, definitely. And when we look at the response that's come from government in the form of humanitarian assistance, it does recognise that there are... C- cases where people are unable to insure their homes for for flooding, mm. um, and that's why that hum- humanitarian assistance is in place. Um,
3: okay, uh, and I, I suppose that is the answer as things stand uh, to apply uh, for uh, government humanitarian aid.
6: Absolutely, and and like that's what it is there for. And I would urge anybody in that situation. To, to make contact, the numbers widely out there on, on social media, on the council website. Contact the Community Welfare Officer. If you if your home has been flooded, that assistance is there for you, and that's why it's there.
3: Okay, Marianne, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us this morning. Thanks a million, Michael. That's Green Party Councillor Marianne Butler. Now, if uh, you want to apply for that humanitarian aid that is being made available to households, you can do that today. And the number to call is 0818 607080. That's 0818 607080. Now, if you'd like to make comment on our programme today, there's a, a number of numbers uh, that I'd like to give you, so that you can do that. You can ring us on 0419832000. You can text us or WhatsApp on 0861800658. and you can email Michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, michael Reed on, on
1: LMFM.
3: Uh, seven euro isn't. Uh, seven hundred euro isn't uh, to be sneezed at uh, by anybody, and quite a, a lot of people are owed seven hundred euro because. Uh, They've overpaid tax. In fact, uh, figures given to Labour Party TD Jed Nash would indicate that some 317,054 people overpaid their taxes last year. Jed Nash is with us in studio and a, a very good morning to you right. and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Why is this the case?
7: It's because people are making um, income tax returns. Um, PAY workers uh, often consider themselves not being required to, to do it um, your tax PRSI and USC is sorted out mm. uh, with your employer directly with revenue uh, you get your pay slip or you get your um, P60 at the end of the year you get a balancing statement and that's that's just how it is but I guess in, in the last number of years especially a number of different reliefs have, have come into play um, which you can offset against your tax and I've been concerned for some time now, Michael, that there's really a lack of awareness of this and maybe a fear as well from PAY workers about making a tax return. A tax return that's actually quite easy to do now on an annual basis uh, on the uh, revenue website uh, if you've got a MyGov ID. uh, off you go. It'll take you probably just a few minutes if you've got the relevant documentation. Uh, The main offenders a lot of the time uh, in relation to tax relief would be, for example, the old Med 1 forms. Mm. People might be familiar with them. Claiming health relief for visits to the GP, pharmacy bills, Mm. consultant fees and so on. And
3: a lot of PAYE workers would submit a Med 1 form. In other words, to claim tax relief on their medical expenses without doing a full tax return that can be done separately. That's it? right, yeah.
7: it can indeed, yeah, but it's always advisable to do a full tax return and the figures that were returned to me by the Minister for Finance and Revenue uh, and on the front page of the uh, Irish Independent today, story by Charlie, Charlie Weston uh, I think it's worth reading because what that does as well is go, it goes, goes through a lot of the reliefs that mm. are available to people that they might not understand they're entitled to. So I would advise anybody, you've got until November the 15th of this mm. year to make a tax return Uh, for last year that being said you can actually do one for the last four years so uh, I'm talking to you now in November 2023 so you can go back as far as November 20 as far as 2019 and yeah. make a claim for that so well, that's
3: very important uh, because yeah. the figures that were given to you uh, through a parliamentary question show that uh, as many people uh, overpaid tax uh, in 2021 uh, uh, as would have been the case last year 260,000 not quite as many as the 317,000 yeah. but that's uh, that's uh, 260,000 who Probably have two years worth of tax that they can claim back on. That's
7: right, and some maybe with four. So mm. if you look at the yeah. average, mm. uh, uh, the average return of 700, 1400 fourteen hundred euro, uh, you know, multiply that by n- another two, you've got yeah. €2,800. nine hundred euro. Mm-hmm. That is not insignificant amount of money. In yeah. fact, seven hundred mm-hmm. euro is the net average weekly. Income uh, in terms of workers in this mm. country. So it's it's an extra week's, week's wages if you yeah. look at the average. So there are things like, for example, the rent credit. The, the, well, uh, that's an
3: amazing one. Uh, 5, because how many times did people call for a tax break or some sort of help for struggling renters? It was put in place, but most renters didn't claim it.
7: That's it. I think that the last figures I saw, maybe about 50, 60 percent of renters actually claimed it for last year and that's 500 euros that you're entitled to and there might be and I understand this a little fear uh, among PAYE workers mm. about making a tax return you might not have done one before it is relatively straightforward and I've been calling for the revenue commissioners mm. to take the mystery out of this and to describe exactly how this is done uh, to engage in a campaign and the minister has agreed mm. to do that to actually alert people as to their rights I've of often heard
3: people say once the tax man starts looking at
7: you never know what they might find well for a PAYE worker that's not the case I mean if you've got one source of income and maybe a small income from elsewhere it's relatively straightforward the average uh, that somebody might owe uh, is considered to be about 500 euro if you have actually underpaid tax and my own sense of this and I haven't got confirmation of it is that uh, the the uh, uh, underpayments that may have been made in 2021, 2022, may have had something to do with people not doing tax returns, people who would have been, for example, liable to pay a small amount of tax yeah. on the pandemic unemployment payment or the wage subsidy scheme. Yeah. But that's an average of €500. Euros. And in fact, you might find that when you do your balancing, make your tax return, get your balance statement, which will tell you actually what you've paid in tax USC yeah. uh, and so on and tells you about the reliefs and credits that you're entitled to, you might find, in fact, that you might be net better off because you might understand and might identify the well. There's actually, mm. I might owe 500 euros, but in fact, there's several hundred euros of relief I'm mm. entitled to. So it might balance out for you might be better off from a net point of view. So I would encourage mm. people to do that. Can we just it's go relatively back to the
3: straightforward. medical expenses? Uh, because uh, a lot of people don't claim their medical expenses and everybody is entitled to tax relief on medical expenses. Uh, and it's not that difficult. How are you going to go back four years? go to your local chemist. If you go up to your pharmacist, they're all set up for this and they're all very helpful.
7: They might not thank me for saying it, but um, you can go into your local pharmacy, you can get uh, a a runoff, basically, from their computer uh, of the amount of money that you've spent um, because you may, in fact, um, uh, be on the drugs payment scheme, Mm. for example, as well. So uh, most people, maybe, who are working uh, aren't getting a medical card or a drugs payment scheme... They could be paying 70, 80, 90 euros a month, you know, for drugs, maybe a little bit more. So you can claim relief back on that at 20 percent, the marginal mm. rate. So that all adds up yeah. every month when you and think about it. Most people use the same chemist all the that's time. Right. That's right. And, and if you, you do, do that, you'll get, you can get yep. a print off mm. of what you've actually paid every month for the mm. last couple of years, last, last three, four, however far you mm. need to go back. Your friendly local pharmacist will provide that service to you. Uh, and that's one way of doing that. Um, similarly, you know, you could ask your doctor if you don't have the receipts for mm. for those receipts. It might be a little bit uh, uh, more challenging. But when you think about it, I mean, a family might uh, with a couple of children might have to go to the GP a few times mm. a year. That all adds up. Um, dental uh, uh, routine dental uh, services mm. as well are included. One of the one bone of contention I have, and I receive representations from <coughs> constituents all mm. the time about this more complex dental treatment isn't actually um, covered. For example, things like um, IVF treatment, uh, more complicated, well, uh, I know if I'm dealing with is somebody is at the moment okay. for example, mm-hmm. root canal treatment right. wasn't yeah. wasn't actually mm-hmm. covered. But if you think, you know, young couples for example, going through um, IVF treatment and so mm-hmm. on, you know, mm-hmm. if you combine all of those, you know, those very expensive yeah. mm-hmm. um, services uh, you can get very significant uh, relief uh, on that as well. Mm-hmm. And one thing as well that people aren't always aware of uh, there are 180 jobs covered on the revenue.ie website Uh, allowing you to actually get expenses, for example, relief and expenses, for example, that uh, would involve the equipment that you Mm. use for your work or your uniform. So if Mm. you're a nurse, if you're... Uh, a member of the fire service if you're a healthcare assistant in a nursing home if you work in the home help sector for example you're entitled to some relief mm. and the relief there is actually on average of about 250 euros yeah. per year so not mm. insignificant
3: Add that on to the 500 for your rent
7: a rent couple of hundred on home. your
3: medical expenses and so on you're very quickly up to that 750 euro uh, and this is not something to do next month or the month the deadline now is two weeks the 15th of November
7: That's right to file that return and I would encourage as many people as possible to do it um, The minister confirmed on budget day that about 180 million euro has gone unclaimed uh, in tax release for PAYE workers. That's a lot of money. So when you think about 700 euros, we're heading into Christmas now in the middle of a cost of living crisis. Every single penny counts for somebody on a loan, modest income especially. So I will encourage people to do it. There's no mystery Mm. in it. Don't be fearful of it. Mm. It's quite straightforward. Uh, Go online, revenue.ie, use your MyGov ID, Mm. uh, get the information and do it. In fact, the refunds Mm. are usually paid within a week or two. Yeah, and a
3: a simple question for anybody who's renting. Uh, Did you get €500? If you didn't, you are entitled to it. It's there for you. Apply for it now. Uh, And while you're at it, go up to the local pharmacy, ask them to print off your receipts. And if you do that, Uh, And nothing else. Uh,
7: You could be quids in. And that money is yours. You're entitled to it. In law, you're entitled to it. But Mm. you have to actively make the claim yourself. Mm.
3: Um, We're hearing today from the latest uh, public research uh, that uh, there's probably more people uh, who would benefit uh, from tax rebates uh, than would have been the case before because of an increase in the number of disadvantaged areas in the country. Uh, Is that of surprise to you?
7: It isn't. Um, We know from our own experience directly representing people, uh, the difficulties that individuals and communities are facing, and that's been much more pronounced over the last two years in the middle of an inflation and cost of living crisis. We know the people who are the least worst off are those who are most adversely affected. Mm. That's why, for example, we've been saying that there should be above inflation increases to social protection rates, why the minimum wage needs to be uh, increased uh, quicker and much faster, we need to you know meet that living wage sooner than uh, the government has um, Um, forecast this is a really really concerning time and we have the resources to actually make things Mm. better Um, we know who's experiencing deprivation the worst and we're not targeting the resources we have properly I mean this budget was supposed Mm. to be about uh, ending child poverty and uh, the minimalist approach taken by government shows that that commitment that the Taoiseach made in December um, really has to be Questioned. Very interesting uh, data from the ESRI
3: on minimum wage, sub-minimum wage, uh, because there's four different rates of minimum wage, uh, depending on, on your age, until you get to right. 20, is it? Um, but most people who are on the sub-minimum wage are students. Uh, most people uh, who are uh, employed uh, but o- under 20 are on over the minimum wage if they're are earning at this stage. So that, does that come as a surprise to you? Uh,
7: no, and we, we actually shouldn't have sub-minimum rates of pay at all when it comes to the national minimum wage.
3: But 80% of those who receive that sub-minimum
7: rate are students. That's right, John. In my view, it's a form of exploitation. Um, and uh, But it's a form of, of exploitation that's lawful. Um, since the minimum wage was introduced in the year 2000, there's been this provision for sub-minimum rates, so mm. a rate lower than what the adult minimum rate is. The argument always was that uh, this was about giving young and experienced workers a chance uh, and they didn't want to displace uh, older workers. Now I've never really accepted uh, that argument. Uh, And in fact, when I established the Low Pay Commission in 2015 and just before we left office in 2016, I'd actually asked the Low Pay Commission to undertake research uh, as to the number of people who are on uh, the sub-minima rate. This is kind of repeated almost annually now. I think this research by the ESRI. And we've been arguing now for a long time that really... Uh, it doesn't make any economic sense. It's socially divisive as well, uh we believe in the principle of a fair day's work for a fair days pay, regardless of what age you are. And there's no evidence to say that you know all the workers are being mm. displaced. There's no evidence either. Uh, to say that this is discouraging younger people from continuing with their education. That was an argument that was made actually by Mary Harney in the year 2000 when the minimum mm-hmm. wage was introduced, that if you actually set the rate of the minimum wage too high, it would discourage younger people from actually continuing yeah, with their education. Yeah, yeah. And remember as well, there are l- a lot of the people who are paid below the rate of the national minimum wage uh, are actually apprentices. Mm. Uh, and that Urgently needs to be reviewed. We know we don't have the throughput of people coming through and the wet trades for our construction sector to build the houses yeah. we need and so on. We're never going to have that if we continue to pay apprentices poverty wages.
3: Okay, we we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed for coming into us uh, this morning, Labour Party TD. For Loud and Eastmeath, Jed Nash.
1: Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM.
3: LLFM. Now, a couple of uh, comments coming to us. Uh, one listener saying uh, my son works at home and I'm paying for the energy bills. Can, how can how can I claim or what kind of claim can be made? Uh, I think your son can claim e-worker relief, uh, but uh, you need to fill out a, a tax return. Somebody else saying uh, the advice on the dental uh, was given back ways. Routine dental is not allowed. Non-routine is allowed. Uh, You'll get a detailed explanation on revenue.ie. Thank you uh, indeed uh, for that uh, and uh, apologies if there's any confusion, but you get all of the information on uh, revenue.ie. The point remains the same. Uh, There's many credits that you can claim. If you don't claim them, you're not going to have the tax refunded to you. If you do, you could be refunded up to as much as 700 a year, possibly even more, but that's the average 700 a year and you can go back four years. So four sevens are 28. It could be a lot of money. Thank you to Trish as well, who says the tax return deadline for PAYE workers to claim tax credits for the past four years is uh, the 31st of December. The tax return deadline of uh, the 15th of November is for self-employed taxpayers. Again, thank you for the clarification on that, uh, Trish. Uh, Paddy Duffy, at wondering if your landlord refuses to register your tenancy with the RTB, can you claim the rent tax credit? Uh, well, yes and no, I think is the answer. As I I'd imagine, you know, Paddy, uh, this is an issue that Paddy has highlighted with us before. I think the best advice to the tenant is to contact the RTB uh, and say uh, that you're renting a property at such an address and you don't believe that it has been registered, which, of course, is not legal. And leave it to them then to sort it out. And I'm sure they'll be quick enough doing that. Anyway, look, thank you to everybody in touch with us so far this morning. If you'd like to make comment on the programme today, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is oh four one nine eight three two thousand. Text or WhatsApp 086 Email michael at lmfm.ie.
1: Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on LMFM. Now,
3: some of uh, the comments coming to us uh, this morning. Uh, one uh, call or text, rather, from somebody who says, do you have to pay a TV licence? Uh, I take uh, this is in relation to claiming tax back. Uh, I don't think you can claim your TV licence fee back. Uh, and yes, you do have to pay a TV licence. Uh, if you have a television, you must have a TV licence, as uh, the old ads used to say. Uh, But obviously an awful lot of people aren't, um, and how they'll be treated because uh, they're breaking the law is another day's work. Only time will tell. Uh, It's a question, I think, that uh, the executives in RTE would like to see answered sooner than later. We had somebody else in touch with us. Uh, This is Joe, who's in RD, and he he says, is it any wonder that more people are disadvantaged uh, when you take into account the increase in the cost of living? How can anyone cope? these days because everything is so expensive. Uh, thanks uh, for your message, Joseph. Uh, thanks to uh, to Sandra who's been on uh, texting us asking why should a 17 or an 18 year old get minimum wage? Why do they need More than just a few bob, if they're working at that age, uh, think about it, think about the experience that they're getting from working and that they'll be able to build a CV off that and also have some pocket money while they're at it. It's a win-win, is it not? Thanks uh, for that. Uh, our thanks as well uh, to Peter in Dundalk, who asks, did Joe Biden not say Israel has the right to defend itself by massacring the Palestinians? Uh, and if uh, that is what he said, uh, why is it now that he's calling for a, a pause? In the Israeli attack on the innocent Palestinian people uh, has uh, he realised how wrong he was well thank you indeed uh, Peter for that our telephone number by the way is 0419832000 2000 if you want to make comment on the programme today text or WhatsApp 086 658. that's 086 658. email michael at lmfm.ie and I think we can hear some of the reasons uh, that the Israeli Israelis believe that uh, the uh, attack on Gaza is
8: justified. Barbaric Hamas terrorists invaded Israel from the sea, the land and the air. They came with one purpose, one purpose only, to savagely murder every living thing they encountered. Hamas Nazi murders went from house to house with hit lists a thoroughly planned, willful, premeditated attack. They brutally murdered civilians in their beds. They drove pickup trucks with machine guns. Yes, we all remember just like ISIS and fired blindly at hundreds of young people at a concert. 300, 300 were burned alive or butchered in that concert. Much of what remained were clumps of flesh and and bloody limbs. Parents had to bring their children's toothbrushes for DNA so they could figure out whose limb belonged to who. These Hamas monsters raped women and children, parading naked girls that they raped and bodied that they defiled through the streets of Gaza Why, thousands, and I'm telling you, thousands, you can see the footage, jeered and cheered. The savages tortured small babies, just like the Nazis' Hamas terrorists removed infants from their cribs. Yes, we have it on video. Swung them repeatedly against the ground until their skulls became a pulp. Children were murdered in front of their parents, and parents in front of their children. I've seen a video of a terrorist filmed by him, by himself, who tossed a grenade into a bomb shelter with a father and his two young boys inside. The father was killed instantly, and the two boys ran out of the shelter screaming that their father is dead, and that they want to be dead too. All this is occurring, believe it or not, as the monster who murdered their father calmly helps himself to the contents of the family's fridge. Yes, no horror movie compares to the pure brutality that Hamas carried out. No, none.
3: There you go. Hard to listen to indeed, Uh, but that is uh, the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations account of what happened in Israel on October 7th with uh, Hamas uh, attacking Israel, very graphically told by Vlad Erdan. Now, going back uh, to some more of the comments coming to us uh, today, Jimmy says uh, that surely residents and businesses in Louth are eligible for the same flood reliefs as those uh, affected recently in Middleton. Why do they have to wait for another scheme to be set up specifically for them? Uh, It's just wasting time and they need help and assistance as soon as possible. Thanks uh, indeed uh, for that, Jimmy. I think uh, that uh, assistance is going to be made uh, available as quickly as possible. I I would imagine the Cabinet meeting today, uh, not a scheduled meeting, a number of ministers over in South Korea, uh, they'll all be on uh, their Zoom call later on uh, and rubber stamping it. It, It's that it needs Cabinet approval. It needs uh, the ministers all to agree that the scheme uh, which is the subject of legislation and obviously there's restrictions on the scheme because of the way the legislation is written, but that it can be extended to include those in County Loud. Anne says, thank God that the water levels have abated in and around Dundalk town. The last few days have been very frightening for residents, particularly elderly people, and it's good to see a little light at the end of this tunnel for them. The public reps and local authorities need to come together and do whatever is necessary to help get people back on their feet. Well, we're hoping to hear from Loud County Council before we finish up this morning and hopefully uh, there'll be some more information uh, for people who have been affected by the floods. Um, Now, uh, I think what we'll do is uh, just uh, return uh, whilst uh, we've got a a taste uh, for how the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations has been describing the conflict and, and why Israel uh, has waged war uh, against uh, Gaza and Hamas, uh, what uh, their intentions are, which uh, I think we've all heard, is to annihilate Hamas. No, that um, appears to be the wrong clip. I think we can go to that clip once again. And uh, this is the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations. Uh, his name is Vlad Erdem.
8: Hamas carried out Atrocities, the likes of which we have not seen since the Holocaust. Yet, unlike the Holocaust, where the evidence we have
6: don't you love an extra hundred dollars in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get a hundred dollars back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.
8: It's mostly black and white photographs and soundless footage. Here, the proof is in high definition because some of it is from, yes, security footage, but much of it is from the cell phones and GoPro cameras belonging to the Hamas Nazis themselves. Many may be asking, why did they film their sadistic violence? Well, I'll tell you why. Very simple. They filmed it in order to terrorize the Israeli public. To release these videos and put fear in the hearts of the citizens of Israel. By the way, this is what terrorists do. They terrorize. I have seen much footage over the past weeks that will be seared into my mind forever. But there is one sight that I keep on seeing when I try to sleep. In the video, one can see a terrible injured civilian, bloodied yet alive laying on the ground as a Hamas savage screaming, Allahu Akbar, repeatedly pummels the man's neck with a garden hoe in order to decapitate him. The man on the ground is an agricultural worker from Thailand. He's not Israeli, he's not Jewish. He was merely alive trying to make a living for his family, but he was decapitated with a blunt gardening tool. Horrifying. Israel is not at war with human beings. We are at war with monsters. That's the Israeli ambassador to
3: the United Nations. On foot of that, Michael Andrade in touch with us, saying what Hamas did on the 7th of October will never be forgiven. It was an act of terrorism, a war crime, and they must pay, not just for what they did to the Israelis, but Hamas is also responsible for the retribution Israel is bringing to the people of Gaza. Thank you, Michael. Our phone number oh four one nine eight three two thousand. That's oh four one. 983 2000 text or WhatsApp a message if you'd like to comment on the programme 086 1 658 is our number that's 086 1800 email michael at lmfm.ie
1: Michael Reid on LMFM And to
3: the Minister for Justice Helen McEntee who joins us uh, by telephone. Good morning to you Minister and thank you I- indeed uh, for taking the time to be with us a number of issues and changes to legislation that you're going to discuss with us uh, but can I ask you uh, about uh, the scheme that is uh, available to businesses affected by flooding in Middleton Uh, It's all but certain at this stage, is it not, uh, that you and your Cabinet colleagues uh, will agree to extend that to businesses in Louth and elsewhere affected by flooding this week?
9: Well, look, Michael, firstly, I mean, what we've seen with floods has been absolutely devastating, not just in Middleton, but in August as well. The the impacts that we saw in Bessie and County Louth and now up in Carlingford um, and with the weather getting worse, I know people are very nervous as to... Uh, where where there might be flooding next. What we've done is put in place an enhanced scheme. This is building on a scheme that already exists, one not just for businesses, but one for homeowners as well to make sure that we can provide as much funding as possible to get people's homes back to to what they were, but also to get people's doors open, their businesses open and their livelihoods back on track. Um, The enhanced scheme, uh, we we have discussed this as a cabinet and we have discussed this recently. Um, We want to make sure that no matter where you are, that if you require additional funding or support, that it can be made available to you. Um, so, you know, that that is the overall objective, that is the overall plan. It's not everybody will need the enhanced scheme. Uh, we're talking about up to €100,000, uh, whereas previous grants or, or or the normal grants, shall we say, that have been in place are up to 20000 So depending on what the damage is in different areas, obviously, we as a government will look at that, we will respond effectively. The most important thing is that people get the support that they need, but also that we as quickly as possible put the measures in place to prevent this type of flooding from happening. We have some areas where they've never had this type of flooding before, other areas where we know are problematic, uh, and that, again, is a government effort to make sure that we can put that in place as quickly as possible. So. Uh, you know my colleagues many of them who would be responsible mm. uh, be it in the opw but also the tshop minister for finance have visited carlingford been in uh, in county cork have been over to to my own areas in, in Bessie's town as well um you know and it, it's really devastating for people so we want to provide the support where where, where needed
3: Okay, that that announcement uh, will be made after the cabinet uh, meeting today. Uh, There's uh, legislation that you're introducing uh, this week, uh, which will make it a a stand-alone offence to be stalking stalking somebody. uh, And um, there's also uh, a a new offence of non-fatal strangulation. Uh, Maybe you could uh, give us some detail uh, on these new offences.
9: Absolutely. So, as of yesterday, we have two new standalone offences, but also a number of other areas where we have increased, or uh, where I've increased the sentencing for particular crimes. Um, the new standalone offence of non-fatal strangulation. This is something that really has come to the fore, engaging with Angarda um where they have identified and where we have very clear facts to show that where. A person is a victim of domestic violence in their own home, but particularly where somebody might be strangled as part of an assault. There mightn't be any visible marks. It might not be something that they feel is important enough to, to go to the Gardaí. But a person, and unfortunately more likely a woman, is seven times more likely to be killed by their partner where there is strangulation as part of this abuse. And so, what I'm saying very clearly is that non-fatal strangulation or, or, or suffocation strangulation. It is extremely serious. It has the potential to lead on to devastating consequences for a person. So I'm encouraging people because it is now the law. It is now Well, it is now a standalone offence. Uh, and a person can face a sentence of up to 10 years if they are found guilty. Um, secondly, having worked very closely with victims who have... Um, Being victims of stalking uh, and the devastating consequences for them and their lives, we now have a new standalone offence of stalking, again, with a maximum sentence of up to 10 years. And that is acknowledging the detrimental impact that this can have on an individual uh, being stalked by another person, um, being harassed, being intimidated. You know, we've seen situations where family pets have been involved, where other family members have been involved. It leaves people feeling in fear and, again, I want to send a very strong message. This is not acceptable. It cannot be tolerated. And we as a society will not tolerate it. And by making these standalone offences, I hope that it will encourage more people to come forward, that they will feel confident in coming forward. And only yesterday I spoke to the Garda Commissioner about this, who will make sure that these new offences, standalone offences, but also the new sentences that we have put in place, that this is well understood by members of Angarda Shia Kana, that nobody is in any way uncertain about what this means um, and that prosecutions can be brought forward. Separate to that then, um, it's something that I've looked at for a number of years now and where you have very serious crimes taking place. So the assaulting of a member from Garda Siakana, assault causing harm, again a common offence in domestic abuse cases, but also conspiracy to murder. I want to make sure that the sentence fits the crime and that when a member of the judiciary, a judge, is determining a sentence that they have the maximum range available to them. So as of yesterday, the maximum sentence for assault causing harm has gone from five to ten years. The maximum sentence for assaulting or threatening to assault a member from Garda Connor or any other emergency worker increases from seven to twelve years. And the maximum sentence for conspiracy to murder is now life in prison instead of ten years.
3: OK. Um, you confused me, I- Forgive me, I wasn't sure I understood uh, what uh, you were saying in relation to stalking. You said pets have been involved. Are you talking about like that scene from Fatal Attraction, the rabbit and the bunny boiler?
9: Well, look, yes, we, we, we have situations where people's pets have been taken or where, where they have been, been killed and where that has been used as a way to threaten and to intimidate people. So, I mean, people will go to, to very... Uh, horrific and different lengths to try and get at a person, to try and frighten them, to try and intimidate them, to try and coerce them. Uh, And that is why, when developing this legislation, Mm. I've worked closely with victims. We've taken on board what has happened to them. Uh, And for me... In making any new law, it's so important that you you take real-life incidents, you look at what people have gone through, you look at what exactly it is that they need to feel supported and to be supported. And unfortunately, this was something very specific that we know has happened, that I have included in this legislation to make sure that this is part of the overall case that can mm. be brought if someone has been brought before a judge um, but you know as i said when, when making a new law it's really important that we look at what actually happens to people and unfortunately uh, this is something that happens uh, and that people are subjected to and that their animals and their family members and others are brought into this as well which is very traumatic right. and very mm. difficult you're
3: you're, to you're bordering on insanity uh with stuff like that uh, and i think uh, quite possibly so Uh, With a lot of the stories that I've heard uh, about in relation to stalking, if people are found guilty uh, guilty of stalking as a a stand alone offence, will uh, there be uh, the option for judges uh, to look at the mental health of people and maybe have insanity treated if that's the case?
9: Well, look, this is something that can always be taken into account by a judge. So uh, what we try not to do, and and in terms of new legislation, is be prescriptive as to what can or cannot be used as a defence. It is always up to the individual judge to look at the circumstances and to look uh, at exactly what has happened. However, it should not be something that can always be used as a defence because obviously there are very Mm. significant implications for somebody if they are found guilty by reason of insanity. That is a very... Uh, different process as to where they go and how they are treated after that and um, so it is obviously an option for somebody to claim that defense uh, obviously where there might be something genuinely wrong with them but what I don't want to see and what we don't want uh, is a case where uh, somebody's mental health is taken uh, as, a, as an excuse or a reason but also there are many many people with mental health problems and they do not resort to this type of behaviour or they do not engage in this type of behaviour. So we just need to be very careful how we how we look at this and how we determine it. But obviously each individual facts in a case will be looked at by a judge, have to be taken into account whether it's sentencing or others. But when it comes to the sentencing and, and as I've mentioned we have a number of sentences that have been increased and what I have found very frustrating over the years is where You know, for example, a very serious assault might have taken place. One example that was given to me by the guards was where a woman who was pregnant had boiling sugar and water thrown over her by her partner. And because the maximum sentence for assault causing harm was five years, when you take into account perhaps a guilty plea, mitigating factors, time served, the maximum that that person served was just over two years. And it's very hard to comprehend the type of crime that not just the physical, but the emotional scars that somebody might have to deal with for the rest of their life. That sentence surely should match that crime. And so, what we're doing with many of the changes that came into law yesterday is giving judges the discretion to apply a higher maximum sentence, so that the time that they serve matches the crime that they have that that, that they have committed. Mm. Uh, and again, we're talking about conspiracy to murder, assaulting a guard member, or just assaulting a person. Uh, more generally, whether it's in in the home or outside of the home.
3: Okay uh, and just uh, again on stalking are we talking about real world real life stalking or are we also talking about the world online and virtual stalking?
9: So this includes both and uh, what I've been very uh, conscious of and I think generally when we're introducing new laws we have to be conscious that so many crimes can be committed online and um, so that we have an ability in our laws to make sure that we're this type of persistent behaviour but also stalking. it can be a once-off incident uh, and I've been you know given very clear examples where something might have happened only the once but the potential for that to cause a huge amount of distress and alarm or to develop into something more serious uh, is quite severe so we are trying to cover all bases so this will include online, this will include the types of behaviours where somebody can you know very seriously harass Mm. uh, a person in their very home without even going near them. So that is included in this legislation. But also, if an incident happens only just the once, uh, that is also included in it, because usually we think of stalking, we think of harassment, we think of a persistent type of behaviour. You know, surely if the guards are going to believe me or surely if this is going to be taken seriously, it has to have happened a number of times or a significant number of times. What I'm saying very clearly is that something can happen just the once and it can put so much fear into a person or cause them so much alarm and distress. We need to take that as seriously as though it were happening every day, all day, for a number of years.
3: Tell me about non-fatal strangulation. As you say, that's going to be a standalone uh, offence, meaning that if one person uh, strangles another person and that person doesn't die, uh, they could go to prison for 10 years. Is that just in the case of, of assault or is it in all cases, such as mutually agreed acts of sexual pleasure?
9: Well again we have to take each individual case and and a judge will obviously determine whether something was consensual or not um, and that obviously has to be taken on board as as it would with any evidence but really what what I'm trying to target here and this has come through a lot of engagement with the Gardaí but also looking at what they have done in the UK particularly when trying to tackle domestic and sexual violence what has become very clear is that women and again it's mainly women but of course men are victims too Where they have been in relationships where this type of behaviour has happened where they might be strangled they might not have lost consciousness there mightn't be any physical marks it might be only for a matter of seconds but that in itself is a precursor to potentially much more violent uh, incidents happening and again seven times more likely to be murdered by a partner where this happens it is already offense obviously to, to harm a person or to assault a person But what's happened in the uk where they have made it a standalone offense where they have increased the sentence so it would be ten years here more women have come forward it's highlighted the crime in itself it's encouraged people to look at it in a much more serious way Uh, and that is all part of what i'm trying to do dealing with domestic and sexual violence it's to make sure that people see how serious it is that they don't diminish something like this And that victims come forward because, you know, what we know is just the tip of the iceberg. I I am absolutely certain of that. The amount of people that come forward is nowhere near what is actually happening on the ground behind closed doors. And this type of behaviour is happening all too often. Yes, there can obviously be consensual type of behaviour in Mm -hmm. this regard. But it is very much up to a judge to look at a scenario uh, and see you know, what, are the, what, what facts do we have here? What was the lead up to this? What was the environment? Were there witnesses? All of those types of things that would have to be taken into account uh, more, more generally in a case.
3: Okay, and uh, as you've stressed, uh, you're moving uh, to protect frontline workers. Uh, is that indicative of the world that we're living in and how law and order is breaking down?
9: Well, look, men and women of Vanguard, as the they, they put their lives on the line when they go out. The door every day um, and I'm very conscious of that but also emergency workers whether you're in the fire service and the ambulance service uh, or any others um, and whether it's through social media or the fact that things are changing there certainly feels as though there has been an increase in assault on members from Garda Síochána and other emergency workers and I think we need to be strong in our response so the sentence the maximum sentence that a person can receive has now increased from seven to 12 years, and you might say, well, how will that actually deter somebody if they were willing to do it with a seven-year sentence? What I'm also introducing next year is body-worn cameras for Ngaida So now if and when these are in place, if you assault a member, not only will it be recorded, so there's very clear evidence, but that evidence will then potentially mean that you get an even higher sentence because there will be a very clear picture of what has happened. So we have to push back on this idea that it is acceptable or tolerated that somebody can assault a person who is going about their work. And I mean, we think of the Gardaí or emergency workers. Their job is to keep us safe, to protect us. And the idea, I suppose that I as Minister, but that we in general would not do everything that we can to protect them. uh, That's what I'm trying to do here. So we're increasing the sentence. We're sending a very strong signal. If you assault a member, you could potentially face up to 12 years in prison. And by the time we introduce the body-worn cameras, uh, it will be even... Uh, you know, it, it would be more difficult to get out, out of it, or to to maybe to to, to give a defence of self-defense where it didn't exist you know where there was a clear picture of they have the body worn cameras and where they have clear footage of what has actually happened
3: okay uh, minister uh, can i just ask you briefly then uh, as well uh, about uh, some legislation uh, that the Taoiseach has indicated you may be working on uh, he was talking about welfare to ukrainian refugees and he said that if and when we do make changes to the offering that the state gives to Ukrainian refugees. It won't be from just any one department. He's expecting a joint memo from yourself uh, and uh, Roderick O'Gorman as uh, the Minister for uh, Integration. Uh, But uh, the laws on international protection fall under your remit, uh, apparently. Uh, Is it that Ukrainians are on notice now uh, and that in time they can expect that their welfare rates will be reduced?
9: Well, what I would say at the outset is that we have supported um, close to 100,000 people who have fled the war in Ukraine, and we will continue to support them. And I I really want to make that very clear. We have given a commitment that we will support people who need our support if any changes are to be made uh, in terms of accommodation, in terms of social welfare, in terms of any other types of support. That is a decision that would be taken by all of government. We haven't made those decisions. We haven't made any changes Um, There are a number of departments that have responsibility for different elements, you know, from my own, because the Temporary Protection Directive, which is what Ukrainians uh, have sought assistance under, that is dealt with at the Justice Committee at a European level, Um, you know, providing international protection is through Roger Gorman, the funding is through Minister Humphreys, the education is through Minister Foley, the health is through Minister Donnelly, so we all have a role to play here, so if any changes are to be made or any decisions are made, it, it is a whole-of-government decision. But I, I just want to be really clear, we, we've, we've made a very clear commitment to protect people and to provide support for people who are fleeing war, uh, and that won't change, irrespective of, uh, of whether or not there might be changes made to certain elements of it.
3: OK. But it's under consideration, is it?
9: Well, look, I, I think we need to always consider what it is that we're, we're doing and, and the assistance that we're providing. Uh, as I think everybody would be aware, um We have housed close to 80,000 people in a very short space of time, a year and a half, and we need to make sure that we have the support to be able to provide those uh, who still need their help. So I think in that regard, we need to always review what it is that we're providing, how we're providing it, and how it impacts more generally on the support, the resources, the services that we have right across the country. And that's something that we do on a continual basis. We have a Cabinet committee that meets quite regularly to look at these issues, to look at the pressures, how we can alleviate them while still providing uh, the support that needs to be provided. So it, nothing has been has been decided, I, I would state that. Um, but if it does, we will obviously work uh, in unison and, and we'll make sure that uh, people still need uh, and get the help that they want.
3: Minister, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the programme as always. Uh, that's uh, the Minister for Justice, uh, Finnegay LTD for me. These Tala Tee.
1: Michael Reed on
3: LMFM. More stroke patients are going to die and suffer severe disabilities if the plug is pulled on a pledge to fund vital services. This is according to the Irish
7: Heart Foundation. So, how much core additional expenditure? has been provided in Budget 2024 for the National Stroke Strategy, as an example. What's the round figure? At this point, there's no certain no figure certain. with, the, with zero. the National Stroke Strategy,
3: no, no, none of this, so we're focusing, I'm afraid, Deputy, on what we can implement from the, the what we initiated in 2023. No, I understand that, but I'm, I'm asking for a figure, so
7: it's, is it We've, less don't, than a euro? We don't, we don't have a figure. No. It's zero, essentially. We don't, we don't have a figure for the Stroke Strategy. But, but you can't. don't have a figure because the money wasn't given. Well. Yeah, exactly, so, yeah, so, it, it, so if the question can be answered, how much additional funding has been given for the National Stroke Strategy, it, the likely answer is zero for, for 2024, and in terms of additional core expenditure, would that be correct? That's true Deputy, our, our
3: national programs at this point in time don't have additional okay. funding for 2024. Right, that's uh, Dr. Colin Henry along with uh, Bernard Gloucester, the head of uh, the HSC, uh, reluctantly Uh, conceding that no extra money will be given to the National Stroke Strategy. Let's speak to Catherine Walsh, who's the Policy and Legislative Affairs Manager with the Irish Heart Foundation. Good morning to you, Catherine, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. You're saying that this is going to result in people dying unnecessarily? Yes. The fact that
0: there's going to be no additional funding this year to deliver the strategy... It's going to have a knock-on effect where it's going to uh, restrict life-saving services such as thrombectomy. It's going to increase the risk of stroke unit closures throughout the country, and um, which will therefore impact mortal- stroke mortality. And um, it will impact the recoveries of, of people who have experienced a stroke, leaving them with greater disabilities. It's going to increase and um, people who are on beds in hospitals. It's going to increase numbers of people going into nursing homes. It is going to have a catastrophic effect. Um, not just on services, but also on on people, on their families, on their carers. It's a very short-sighted move, and we don't believe it's going to save the health service a single cent. Rather, it's going to just um, drag out the problem and kick it down the road and create greater um, social and economic costs.
3: Did this take you by surprise?
0: Yes, it took us by surprise. Um, Particularly, this stroke strategy was only launched last year. It was launched on World Stroke Day um, last year, one year ago, and um, it got €4.9 million Euro worth of funding in 2023. So, you know, we got year one funding, we were happy with that. And um, obviously, we thought because the strategy was so long in, in, in coming, you know, the then minister, Prime Harris, called for this strategy to be developed as far back as 2017. So When it was launched last year um, and got some first year funding, we obviously, you know, we welcomed it and we thought that this was, this was a runner and um, it was going to help improve our stroke services. And improve mortality and to deal with the increasing number of strokes that are coming and expected to be 60% by 2035 um, and to try and increase uh, the recoveries of patients. So we were shocked by this, um, uh, very much so, mm. and particularly uh, given, you know, in the last number, even within the last year, if you look at some of the comments that um, the Minister for Health or even um, Michal Martin or Leo Iker have made in terms of stroke services in Ireland. Um, and how far they've come since the program was developed or set up in 2010. You know, we've been told that it's a single race investment in stroke services. Um, we've been told that you know having a strategic framework and focus is key, but it has to be followed through by implementation. So w- we've been hearing all this coming out of the you know, Roxas and then now just to find out that the fund, the the strategy isn't going to be funded. It's a real kick in the teeth for us, but it's more so for for our patients um, and and for people. Um, you know who who are already, you know who are already who have had strokes before, who are already trying to grapple the service in terms of um, post-stroke services, which are already on the back foot, and now that our acute services are going to be. Um, essentially
3: not going to be funded. It's a real, real concern for us. Uh, And uh, you have the evidence, have you not, uh, from the first year of the programme and great success, uh, a huge reduction in the number of people who died or suffered a a disability after a stroke.
0: Yeah, we know that um, uh, death and disability rates tend to be around 25% lower amongst people, uh, amongst stroke patients who are um, treated in stroke units. And we know that there has been increase in people um, who have been getting their treatment in the stroke unit from 2013 to 2021. So we know that there's 70% of patients who had a stroke admitted to a stroke unit. So we know that that's a vast improvement. We know that more people are getting thrombectomy, which is a pr- procedure where large large are removed from arteries in the brain. Now that has increased. So we have been making strides. And that's the stroke unit, the stroke strategy was supposed to improve our key services to make them better. To deal with the surge in the ageing population and strokes that are, are that are coming down the line, and um, so we know that our services have been doing so well. Um, however, you know the with the fact that the the fund the strategy isn't going to be funded means that these services um, aren't going to get you know, aren't going to develop as planned. You know this was a five year plan that was developed to you know increase stroke unit beds to increase. Um, make sure that the the, the ba- demand for supplies from vaccine me meeting the demand. Make sure that um, <clears throat> the other cares were available. That the health and social care professionals were being put in place. Um, and unfortunately, that's just not going to happen. Um, and it's going to you know set us back and um, very very much set us back. And you know we will lose the position of being a world leader in this because mm. you know we, we're going to be you know, set back by a number of years. Um, As you know, if the service is closed or cut back, it's very hard to get that service back in place.
1: Mm.
3: Uh, I should have mentioned uh, that when we were listening uh, to the HSE officials they were responding to Sinn Féin's David Cullinan at a a meeting of uh, the Oireachtas Health Committee uh, a couple of weeks ago they were reluctant, uh, I I thought, listening to them to say that there was no money available for the national stroke programme Uh, and as you say the consequences uh, are quite frightening certainly after listening to the way you've spelled out that uh, there was 25% lower uh, there were fewer deaths uh, and severe disabilities as a result of strokes uh, because of that investment. It was a relatively small investment. Was it 4.9 million that you said?
0: Yeah, it was 4.9 million in 2023. If you look at the full cost for the stroke strategy, it was. it's only estimated to be 30, to fund the stroke strategy is €36 million euro across five years.
3: And we're so awash right with next. money at the moment, though, Catherine. This is what's very hard to understand. We've billions uh, that we've spent months uh, talking about. Uh, I'm sure the government spent months about it, uh, talking about it and they wanted the people to talk about it, so we all did. What would we do with all of these billions of euro? Uh, it, it, it's remarkable to think uh, that we're making a decision uh, which, based on the evidence you have, will result in debt, or disability, and the disability after a stroke uh, is most often physical, uh, but it's not always just physical. Uh, it's quite often uh, mental health problems. It can be severe dementia and all sorts of things, and people's lives change uh, uh, forever.
0: Yes, exactly, um, and just it's, it's really important that you actually mentioned that the, the non physical aspects. We know that at least a third of stroke patients suffer some sort of post traumatic stress disorder after having a stroke. And the availability of you know um, psychological support is is very much wanting, and people aren't getting psychological support. And you know again that you know that points that the services that we very much need, and that are going to to the very end of the queue. And um, again, when 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 we're starting to have to try and really fight for these services, and as you mentioned in terms of of the funding, yes, you know, we were told that there was, there was so much money, um, and then to cut off funding to health in the name of you know. Um you know cutting costs and and you know budget overruns, but we can't cut funding to vital strategies and services and um, which will not cut costs it's not going to save a single cent it's actually just going to um create more costs down the line and it's it's funny when I was looking at the the health budget and the the expenditure report for health from um on budget day, you know a lot of money was invested into. COVID-19 and a lot of that is to deal with deferred care You know, waiting lists that have arisen because people had deferred care during COVID-19 and we're going to end up having a situation very similar like that You know, very similar to the mm. COVID-19 situation in stroke where you'll have people who will not have received the care that they needed um, at, in a timely manner who, who may not have gotten to a stroke unit, who may not have gotten to thrombe- a thrombectomy in time um, And that's to the clot depression.
3: isn't it Catherine?
0: Yes, that's yeah. the, the clot removal. Like they will end up having greater disabilities. They'll be on, uh, in, in beds longer. They'll be put in nursing homes and there'll be greater costs. And we'll be having to face this issue in a year, two years, three years. It's going to end up building up. And we're going to look back at this time and say, why did we not fund it when we should have funded it as part of the plan that was developed, signed off and agreed upon by the HSE, by the Department of Health.
3: Okay, we have to leave it there. Thank you for joining us this morning. Catherine Walsh, Policy and Legislative Affairs Manager for the Irish Heart Foundation.
1: Michael Reed on
3: LMFM. Let's uh, speak uh, to Sinn Féin TD, Rory O'Muraku uh, and some of uh, the questions that Rory O'Muraku is asking uh, uh, about the flooding in Dundalk. Good morning to you, Rory, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, you're a resident yourself in Bay Estate. Were you flooded?
5: We weren't. Uh, uh, There's an element of everyone in, let's say, Bay State and Clunenda and and even at times in areas like Avondale will tell you when there's heavy rains, we always have an element of minor flooding or, you know, blocked drains outside our estates. So when some level, sometimes we've got very, very used to it. And now the problem is this was on a level um, that hadn't happened before. And my particular question and a huge difficulty that is arising for everybody is, right, as much as out in Carlinford and whatever, there are issues in relation to, let's say, works that people had requested um, as regards cleaning drains and whatever, but there was no chance you could have dealt with the amount of water. We actually had a scenario and a situation um, whereby... We had a huge amount of rain. We had a huge amount of, um, as I say, an awful lot of people would have had stuff in certain parts of Bay State. I'm thinking of like Willowdale and Hales of Close or whatever, where it was like, you know, up to their gateways, even in some cases, nearly up into their driveways. And if we had had a further weather event after Monday night, that we would have been, for the want of a better term, absolutely screwed. But because this issue arises constantly, uh, and a number of people will have spoken about it. You'll have seen it online. Um, is the fact we obviously have an issue in relation to the system for dealing with wastewater and sewage, which for three quarters of the house in Dundalk, uh, in Dundalk is a joint system. Mm. So, um,
3: and, and it's so contracted
5: we, out, isn't it? it? It is contracted out. If we're talking about the pumping station on the coast Road, which deals with everything, let's say, I think from the Crown Plaza right down. You know what I mean? So yeah. you're taking it right down to the likes of a base state, the likes of ourselves and some parts of the Alphonsus Road and everything, we're on the end of the line. So the problem is the other areas almost get clear first. And um, but I think because new estates have been built and more estates are being planned and there's nobody that at this point in time it can be against the building of uh, housing. But the fact is we have a system that can't deal with the wastewater um, and the surge that we have at this point in time. So I, I have questions in in relation to how many people are working in the pumping station that is run by EPS. And um, I'm asking what the situation is in relation to the lines. Are they kept as clear as possible at most of the times in case there are difficulties? And just I think we need an assessment made in relation to what capacity do we require for normal times? Because we had we actually had a good gap from Monday night. Mm. Uh, we didn't have a huge level of rain, right? Uh, as I say, Tuesday night there was some element of rain that shouldn't have been a major point, but we were not able to dissipate the water that was in the likes of Tunenda mm. and Bay State and Avondale. Uh, And does that
3: mean that the questions that you're asking of Irish Water are rhetorical questions? Uh, As such, do you believe that there aren't enough people working at the EPS pumping station on the Coase Road, and do you believe that the uh, lines are not kept clear uh, as much as possible?
5: Well, here, I I am saying that that is being said, All right, I, I have no proof in relation that that's why the questions are in. What I am saying is I can categorically say we don't have capacity because every time there is a heavy rain in any way, shape or form, we always have in base State and in, uh, as I say, on, on parts of the Alphonse Road and every minor parts of blocked trains. I'm also accepting, and the, the one thing at some of the emergency meetings we had with the council, they accepted that works had to be done in relation to make sure there was better work done of clearing drains. But I think this, this is wider. If all the drains in Dundalk were absolutely perfectly clean, we still would have had that element of flooding. And the fact is, we could have been absolutely destroyed, and we're not from, as I say, a, a tidal breach, it wasn't happening from rivers overflowing. What it was going to happen from inland dock, it wasn't coming off a mountain, was the fact that we could not clear our wastewater. So we do not have capacity. So the fact is, we are talking to the council, we're talking to Irish Water, and then Irish Water talks to EPS, that is a private company that is subcontracted in to do this piece of work. I, I have a. I, I do not see at this point in time that somebody has made a plan. There are, there are, we know that there are plans for new housing estates to be built. We know over the last number of years housing estates have been built in that particular area. And all this is welcome. But we need to make sure that we have the capacity to deal with it. Mm. We know we now need to make an now, What does that mean? Can
3: I just ask you, I mean, when you talk about the capacity to deal with it, to deal with what? To deal with normal weather conditions or to deal well, with extreme weather conditions?
5: Well, look, let's let's be clear. Like, extreme weather conditions are one thing, and unfortunately, extreme weather conditions, what people used to say, um, once in a century or once in 50 years, are happening a lot more often now, so I think we have to accept they are more normal. But I am saying, when we have normal heavy rain, we are having problems. We've got used to them, but that tells me there isn't sufficient capacity to even deal with Normal the circumstances so that means if we have any sort of severe weather scenarios we are absolutely um up something without a without a paddle i think is the easiest way i can say it so I'm, I'm i'm trying to mind mm-hmm. my language at the yeah. minute because That's... i would be quite honest uh, like every morning every evening i have checked this in fairness and one, one of the best pieces of help that i got in relation to all of this was um on the Tuesday on the Tuesday nights when I had come in from Carlingford, where I was out with Anton Waters, um, and obviously people dealt with absolutely severe circumstances there, I met with some of the uh, Loud County Council team, in fairness. Uh, two guys, I don't know that they got any sleep, and one of them went into the absolute detail in relation to, you know, water systems and everything in Undock, and in fairness to him, he called it right. He said, the fact is, the lines are full at the minute, we just basically need to get a break. And a friend of mine almost operates his own weather station. He only lives less than a kilometer from me, and in fairness, he got it right. He actually rang me yesterday morning and said it's going to rain in an hour. He says he was the first person to say I am fairly sure we are going to miss Storm Ciaran. If we had to get any element of Storm Ciaran, we would be dealing with mass flooding event in that south end of Dundalk. So therefore. See before we deal with this again, Michael, I need these questions answered. I put the questions into the council. Yeah. I put the questions into EPS. EPS sent them back to Irish Water. So now it's down to Irish Water to answer this. Everyone that you talk to in that part of the will tell you we do not have the capacity to deal with the wastewater and sewage system that we have. We also have old legacy issues, you know, and and, and I accept that we can't deal with every problem straight away, but I think we need to make an assessment. And the fact that we're talking about joint sewerage and wastewater, we would also have health implications and all the rest of it if we were to deal of with course. all of these circumstances. Um, yeah. So, look, mm. this is incredibly serious. It's not something yeah, that I'm dropping. Serious I, questions. I know the Kevin and will be dealing with this at, mm. at a council level. Also. I've no doubt the members yeah. of other parties who are aware of these issues, who have spoken to myself, will also be dealing with this. Yeah. I want to commend the people that did a huge uh, element yeah. of work. Uh, and hopefully,
3: hopefully we're out of the woods for the moment. Uh, but I'd say you're not, the, ol- I'd say you're the, not the only one uh, who's uh, trying to mind your language. I'd say people are just worn out at this stage.
5: No, no, they they, they, they absolutely are, and, and at times you're dealing with their frustration, and it's utterly it's utterly acceptable. I, I, I'll be you know I'll, I'll be honest. I, I would have liked to have been in in the in, around Bay State myself more, you know, particularly when the danger was on. And um, but the fact is, we have we have a million issues to deal with right mm. across this county. And as I say, some people uh, were in very. Severe circumstances, and it's literally the grace of God that we have not been dealing with uh, a more severe circumstance. I think we also need to look at what emergency resources and circumstances, uh, sorry, resources and capacity we need to look at at Mm -hmm. Loud County Council. I think there's a huge amount of council workers and everything that did absolutely spectacular sure. work above and beyond. We're I think we need to look at how we address some issues beforehand. Yeah, there's a,
3: a lot and of lessons. To, I'm sorry to cut across you, but we've run over time. There's a lot of lessons, undoubtedly, that will have to be learned. Thank you, though, for joining us, as always. Rory or Murakou, Sinn Féin TD for loud. And East Mead, that's our programme for today. Maggie Maguire research, Chris Murray in the Control Tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye.
1: The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time
7: to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration Event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.